Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Let me begin this morning uh, by sharing a reflection with you that I wrote a few years ago in my journal. And in many senses... I think that many people will be able to relate, either because you found yourself in a similar place at some time, or maybe you find yourself in that place right now. Wrote this, Lord, help me to praise you at all times. I'm currently frustrated and disheartened. Challenges I'm facing in life have me feeling down and overwhelmed. I'm trying to move forward, but I'm finding it difficult at times. These are times I find myself resting in the fact that you are good, that you are watching over, and that you are bigger than all of this. And then there are times that I'm overcome with sadness and with hurt. God, I want to trust that you are in control and that you will provide, but it's hard. Help me in my unbelief. May the riches of your love always be enough. Have you ever found yourself in a similar place? Have you ever found yourself fighting against discouragement? Life can take all sorts of twists and turns, and many of them often result in discouragement. This is the human condition. Even as we place our faith in God and take steps towards advancing his plan, we will encounter discouragement along the journey. This is our focus for this morning, discouragement. Yay! (laughs) But specifically, I want us to focus on how do we respond when discouragement comes? And more so, what encouragement does God give us in these moments, in these times? So as we continue our series today in Haggai that we began last week, we're going to see that discouragement was a reality that the Israelites too faced, especially when it came to, as we reflected last week, the rebuilding of the temple. Now, if you were with us last week, you remember that in chapter 1, Israelites had put off the rebuilding of the temple for 16 years, at which point Haggai, a prophet from God, is sent with a message to tell the people, you need to get your priorities straight. You need to put the kingdom of God first, uh, restart building the kingdom of God, the temple. And chapter 1 ends with the people responding in obedience. They do begin resume work on the temple. However, as we pick up our narrative in chapter 2, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Haggai chapter 2, we're going to see that discouragement is now starting to set in. And so let's read together. If you have a Bible, if not, the words will be on the screen. We're going to read from Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. It says, in the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. 
Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. And and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant my peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Well, where we pick up our story is only about three to four weeks after the Israelites had resumed work on the temple. And here we already have, this far in, this only three to four weeks, discouragement once again setting in. You ever feel like that, that you kind of get going And then you stop. (laughs) And then you get going and then you stop. Well, in verses 2 through 2 to 3, we read what the cause for the discouragement. It says, while rebuilding, reality about the new temple began to sink in. See, the new temple would not be like the old temple. For those who had seen the original temple by Solomon, this temple was going to pale in significance. It would be smaller, it would be lacking in grandeur, and the glory of the past. And so this leads to the Israelites becoming downcast and despair to the point that they can't even see what God is doing in their midst. All they can do is think about quitting. And so to help us see this, we can actually go to the book of Ezra. And this is an account that's written at the same time as Haggai, about the same people, the same period, just from a different perspective and focuses on different things. And here in Ezra, we learn that there really are mixed emotions amongst the people. Listen to what we know about the emotional state, reading from Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It says, And all the people gave a great shout to the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid. This is the work that had now happened. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish, though, the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. Here you can see a great divide between the generations. There's a younger generation who is excited to build into what God has called them to, not knowing the past and not knowing anything different. You have an older generation, though, that is downcast because all they can think about is the old days. 
the way that the temple used to be. This longing for how things used to be is what is at the root of the discouragement that we find. An attitude like this is damaging to the church because it breeds discouragement that spreads and wipes out the joy of others. Not only that, when we are so focused on our past, we fail to see what God has ahead for us. Think about it like this. If I'm driving my car to a destination, I can't get there by simply looking out of my rear view mirror. If I only focus on what is behind me, I'm not going to make it to my destination. I need to also focus forward. Shea Sumlin says, when we get to the point when we only revel in the past, but don't celebrate in what God's doing currently, that's a warning sign that we are in trouble. Is your past significant? Yes. Does God use our past to grow us and to grow the church? Yes. Time and time again throughout scripture, the Israelites were called to remembrance of what God had done and to be reminded of his promises and his faithfulness. Looking back can and does allow us to see the person of Jesus in our life. But the past is meant to propel us forward into the new things that God is doing. The problem is when we get stuck in the past. So let me encourage you with this. Let the past encourage you, but don't get anchored to it. Let the past encourage you, but don't drop anchor there. Don't get anchored to it. And we do this often, don't we? Often here within the church. Remember when the youth used to pack out the basement? Those were the good days. Remember when we did dinner theater and guess who's coming to dinner? Those times really built community. Remember when we had to expand because we were running out of space for all the kids and families that were coming? That's when God was really growing his church. Remember when youth was on Friday nights? Yeah, that's when we really saw youth pursuing the Lord. (laughs) Remember when we shook hands in the service? Oh, yeah. I felt welcome then. (laughs) Remember when the rows were so nicely spaced six feet apart? Then I could really worship. (laughs) We laugh. And yet how many of these things or things that are similar do we hold on to? Let me ask you, are you only looking into the past to see what God did? Or are you looking to the present and the future to keep moving with God in new and exciting ways? Nostalgia can be uplifting for a church. It's good to reflect and to remember God's goodness. But it can also be devastating because it gets us caught up in the comparison game. And comparison really is damaging in the sense that it robs us of joy as not just our joy, but the joy of those around us as we read about with the case of the Israelites. If you read on in Ezra from our text today as well, one can see that discouragement of the older generation did spread to those around them and it started to extinguish the joy that they had. And as we see in our text, when this happens, 
the work of God halts. Dropping anchor in your past can lead to us um, um, giving up on God in the future. Dropping anchor in the past can lead us to giving up on God in the future. To those who have deep roots, both in faith and in this church, let me call you and ask you and remind you of this. You have a responsibility to encourage joy and excitement in the younger generation for the new things that God is doing. It's important to share our past, to be reminded of his faithfulness, but don't get caught there and in doing so, spread discouragement for what is happening. Walk with the younger generation. Help them pursue God and lean into new ways that God is leading us together, intergenerationally. God's glory never ends. He always wants us to move forward. Strain for what is ahead. Persevere. This is an act of maturity. And we're told about that in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. It says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take a hold for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of such things. It's an act of maturity to keep pressing forward, to participate with God in what he is doing. We need to stop comparing the past to the present. So how do we press forward though? How do we overcome discouragement? God encourages his discouraged servants in three ways today, I believe. Through his presence, his promise, and a prophecy. Let's look at them together. The first is God's presence. God battles the discouragement of his people through his presence with them. God's charge to the people is what? Be strong and courageous. Be strong, do the work that I've set before you, for I am with you, declares the Lord. And these aren't the first time, uh, this wouldn't be the first time that the Israelites would have heard those words. In this, God reminds his people that he made a covenant with them 900 years earlier when they were delivered out of Egypt, when they crossed the Red Sea. The covenant was, I will not fail you, I am with you. And the same promise given after the Exodus was also given to Solomon from David when the first temple was built, that God's presence would be with them. God is with them now just as he was when he made that promise 900 years ago. We all long deep down to have the presence of someone in our life, don't we? We don't seek loneliness, but we seek the presence of others. We long for someone to defend us, someone to love us, someone to protect us, someone to be by our side, and we seek that often in a variety of different relationships with our 
parents, with our family, with our friends, with teachers, with coaches, with a youth group or another group within the church, with many others. How significant is it then that God declares through his word that I am with you, that you are not alone? Maybe you felt, though, that that promise is expired. That it's so old, that it's from long ago, that clearly it can't apply for today. Well, Hebrews 13, verse 5, reminds us once again with the same promise that he would never leave us or forsake us. And we must not think that this promise is irrelevant because it's around 2,000 years old. God has promised that he is with you and it doesn't matter how much time goes by. It doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or where you're going. The promise is still the same. God's presence is with you. If you're feeling insignificant, alone, or abandoned, know this morning that God is with you. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous because God is in your midst. When we walk in God's will, we have the assurance of his presence. And if we're walking in step with his plan as the Israelites are now doing, we are assured that he is walking with us. When we walk with God, we place ourselves in a position to experience his presence and to partner with him in the kingdom that he is building. In his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Cimbala gives an illustration of this idea through surfing. He says, our obedience to God's will is like paddling out into the ocean. We put ourselves in a position to ride a wave of God's grace, but God sends the wave. While the ocean is sometimes quiet, we know the waves inevitably come. Likewise, when we walk in step with God's plan, we are assured of God's presence. One of my favorite stories in scripture comes from Exodus 33. It's about Moses meeting with God on the mountain and being sent out to lead the Israelites. And in this meeting that they have, Moses says that I am not going unless your presence goes with me. He knew that he could not take on the task that God had given them, given him without God's presence. Moses shows us what we really need most isn't for our problems to be solved or our dreams to come true. What we really need most is God's presence with us. And as Moses did, we need to ask for God's presence. We cannot just keep going back to past experiences in which we have seen God's goodness, but we need to keep going to God. As Moses did, we need to ask for his presence. This needs to become our prayer, for God's presence to go with us. Church, keep leaning in. Keep serving. Keep building God's kingdom because His promises, his presence is with you. 
God gives another presence or another promise that follows, and that's our next encouragement. The promise starts in verse 6, and he says, In a little while, he's going to shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, the land, and the nations, and that he would fill the house with his glory. Not only that, the promise is that the present house will be greater than the former. God is giving a promise that something better is coming because his presence was going to fill this house. Greater things are still to come for God's people. In the words of our own Larry Charter, our best days are still ahead. This is a phrase that he comes back to with our staff time and time again. And this is what God is promising. In doing so, he speaks to the root cause of the the discouragement. He's reminding the people that just because the future will be look different than the past does not mean that it will be less glorious. God will likely work in new and different ways when it comes to the future. But we must be careful not to get caught up in the thinking that it will never measure up to the past. This is simply not true. Just because the future will be different does not mean it will be less glorious. Ephesians 3.20 reminds us that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Greater things are yet to come. And in this promise, God speaks as well to his sovereignty. A.W. Pink defines the sovereignty of God this way. To say God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. These verses speak to the truth that God will provide the necessary strength to complete what he has called his people to. And notice that the focus is on the Lord Almighty. Did you hear how many times that phrase was repeated? The Lord Almighty. The responsibility for the promise is not solely upon the people and their efforts. God has a vision. God has a plan. And we are invited to participate within that. God reassures these people and us today that he will take their obedience and he will use it in his grand plan for redemption. It's a call to faithfully partner with God in what he has asked them to do and to trust in his presence and his plan, his sovereignty to do the rest. Knowing that God's presence was with them for the Israelites played an important role in them moving forward. That was enough to know that they were part of God's redemptive plan. It was the motivation that they needed to know what God was calling them to and calling them to participate in. We too need to discover what God is calling us to and join with him in that. I had the opportunity twice now to be able to to travel Europe. And I've had the opportunity of seeing many beautiful churches while I've been over there. Notre Dame is one of my, my favorites. And for the most part, in these old church buildings, there's nothing really happening within them anymore in terms of ministry. Instead of gathering people to be the church, to make a difference, they now gather tourists to reflect on what was, to see what used to be. 
they have become monuments that serve the purpose of helping people remember what was. Church, God's desire for us is that we not become a monument. Rather, he is calling us to be a movement, a ground, ground, groundswell of people who come together around a common purpose to bring about beneficial change. And by this, I mean that God is not content with our faith simply being something that looks good on the outside and reflects what used to be. His desire is that we would be a people whose faith is active, that is moving, and that is making a difference. This is God's promise, that greater things are still to come as we move forward with him. Amen? The third promise that God gives, the third encouragement, I should say, is a prophecy. The ultimate fulfillment of the promise given is fulfilled when Jesus comes. Haggai reaffirms that God is still working out his promises. And from our vantage point, we know they are ultimately fulfilled within the person of Jesus. It was in this very temple that was being built right now that we read about, the second temple. It is in that temple that Jesus himself would walk. His presence and glory would fill the temple in the coming of his presence. His glory would be seen and experienced like never before. God's glory would not be seen in its fullness through building materials and a physical temple. It would come through God himself coming to dwell among us. Jesus himself is the new temple. Matthew chapter 12, verse 6 reads, But I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is the ultimate servant, the king of kings, and he has come to establish and build an eternal kingdom that will never be shaken. In Hebrews 12, verses 28 through 29 tell us, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Ian McDude captures this truth when he says, the key is to see that the temple was the visible symbol of God's dwelling in the midst of his people. And therefore it foreshadows Christ, the one in whom the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God was using this temple that was being built to point towards Jesus himself and the peace that he would bring. Jesus is the one who would bring the lasting and complete peace. Haggai's pointing to the person of Jesus as being the ultimate fulfillment of this beautiful promise. And we too are included in that promise. And this is because when Jesus came to the tabernacle, it took on new meaning. The people of God are described as the new temple, the body of Christ. And this idea of the body speaks to our unity with Christ. As such, Haggai speaking to the ongoing work that God is doing to keep building his body, the people of God. Just as the Israelites were invited into the work of building the temple of their day, we are invited into the work of building the temple today, God's people. Haggai 2 encourages us to be obedient 
in our part, whatever that might be. Take courage in God's presence that he is using our part in his larger plan. That larger plan involves salvation and restoration that involves the entire universe for eternity. One can't find a more important plan than that. Are you discouraged? Perhaps you've been obedient to God's call, but things are not turning out as you thought. Take courage knowing that as you walk with the Lord, his presence is with you. There's nothing better than God's presence, and God's presence is what's promised to us when we follow God. Take courage knowing you're part of God's larger plan for redemption and restoration. And as you faithfully follow Christ and share the gospel, know that you are building God's temple that's made up of his people. He has promised that greater things are yet to come and that they can be found in the person of Jesus. In your place of discouragement this morning, maybe it's unemployment, struggling with finances, a letter of rejection for a program or school that you applied for, a fight with a close friend or a family member, a struggling marriage, loss of a loved one, a difficult health diagnosis, spiritual attacks, the grind of just every day of life. And whatever it is that you are facing, may you be encouraged. Know that God's presence is with you. That he's promised greater things to you and to his church. And in knowing that Jesus is alive and that he will return again. Amen.